back everybody to your favorite horror and macabre topics podcast horror macabre spooky true crime culty, true crimey yes going in on it all in one everything you, you need one stop shop <laughs> one stop shop podcast yes absolutely that I'm, is it i'm your host katie and i'm kenny and this is another week of us introducing ourselves so that you know who you're listening to? I'm I'm remaining vil- vigilant, guys. Vigilant. Vigilant. <laughs> you're remaining vigilant. Um, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Or what are you drinking, by the way? I'm just I'm so I'm having some lovely Screwball peanut butter whiskey. I wish they would sponsor us, Screwball. If you're out there, please, please tweet this to Screwball. <laughs> peanut butter whiskey just sounds awful. It's so good. It's so good for the black sheep. Which we certainly are. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. The black sheep of the podcast community. I'm kicked back this week because it's your week. You're I know. Taking I care can, of things. I can see your feet. <laughs> I'm just here ready. I'm, I'm literally kicked back. I'm just here ready to be told a story. Oh, a story. A story. A story. Yeah, I want a story. Okay. That's what you expect of me. Yeah. On this day. On this day. On this day. Okay. In the year of our Lord. In the year of our dark Lord, 2020. This is true. This is very true. This is very true. Uh, Yeah, it is my week. Um, Katie is kicked back, as she has said. She's, you know, fully just in full comfort mode right now. I am fully and just laid back. I'm fully reposed. (laughs) Reposed. In full repose. In full (laughs) sprawl, if you will. Yes. So uh, I'm here to talk to you folks today. All you good folks out there listening to us. Uh, and let's just dive right into it. I kind of wanted to talk a bit about urban legends. Okay. Uh, I feel like it's been a minute since we've kind of, you know, went into the realm of urban legend. Um, I was trying to think of, well, I was trying to think of the last urban legend that we did and it's been a while. It's been a minute. In fact, it might've been the, um, hmm. Yeah, no, it's been a minute. Anyway, I couldn't remember what when, so I was like, "This must be the perfect time." Time to do it. To Sounds talk like about right, one. right now. We love a jackalope. Uh huh. We, you know, and we've done several in the past, and even traveled to the site of a famous urban legend, uh, Bunny Man Bridge, mm-hmm. um, which was an interesting experience for us. Yeah, that was fun because it's yeah, it's near us, and it was a really like. Um, actually, we have a video of it on our Patreon, I think. So Patreon plug here. Yeah. For you folks early in the uh, early in the episode, you can find that in the backlogs of Patreon at you search us at the Haunted Heart Podcast. Patreon.com slash the Haunted Heart Podcast might just get you to, there faster, but just you know, go to Patreon. However you prefer. Go to Patreon, <laughs> you know, take a prick of blood, put it on your computer screen, and that's how you'll find us. Yeah. Actually, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It'd be, be cool if you could. 
be cool if you did. That would be neat. We should build that functionality out. Right. And there are so many urban legends that turn into tropes that you see quite frequently throughout, you know, many different parts of the world. Take your woman in white, your, you know, La Llorona's, uh, your Chupacabras or Loch Ness Monsters, all of the above. And, you know, even your man with a hook for a hand. An escaped murderer with a hook for a hand terrorizes teens in the car with the screeching sound of metal being, you know, buried into metal. All of these stories are typically devised by adults as a cautionary tale for children, usually being brought down from generation after generation. And as we grow older, we learn to be less afraid of these women in white or these hook-handed figures stalking us in the darkness and more afraid of the very real terrors of humanity. But what happens when an urban legend becomes less of a story that you hear from a sleepover and more of a story that you see right on the very front page of the morning newspaper. The thing that makes us feel better about listening to these urban legends is the fact that it's just that, and we can feel scared for a moment and then go back to feeling normal. But what do you do when that feeling of safety is swiped out from under you? What do you do when an urban legend becomes real? And that there is most definitely something or someone to fear in the dark. So today, I am bringing you the story of Cropsy, the terrifying urban legend come to life. We love it. We're here for it. I'm here. I'm here with this peanut butter whiskey and I'm living. I'm living for it. I'm drinking it in every word. We're here for we it. We love Cropsy. Mm. I mean, uh, not necessarily proponents of, but uh, <laughs> certainly entertained by. Uh, perhaps. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out by the end of the episode, I guess. Got it. So let's begin with the story of Cropsy. We're going to travel to Staten Island, all the way up to New York City near a place called the Seaview Hospital. New York. New York. New York. New Yorkers hate us right now. They do. They <laughs> absolutely despise well, we're us. We're simple folk. So this is a place where our boogeyman calls home. Now, abandoned buildings are often a part of many urban legends, and it's here the story begins. Seaview Hospital, in its beginning, was one of the largest and most costly municipal buildings for the treatment of tuberculosis, like ever. And rightfully so, as it was also here at this hospital where the first clinical trials for TB treatment took place, which ultimately led to the cure. Hmm. And when the cure was finally in circulation, the hospital closed. But it did evolve to serve many different purposes, with some areas remaining open and some just being shuttered. And when it was built, they designed a series of above-ground tunnels to connect the different buildings on the property as a means for easy access to the hospital staff. So parallel to these are tunnels running underground that lead to places like the morgue and some of the laboratories. Many Staten Island children grew up around this area and always heard tales of Cropsy. And many of the stories, Cropsy was a maniac who lived in the area by the shuttered TB sanatorium. He was an escaped mental patient with a horrifying hook for a hand who would come out at night to hunt. What would he hunt? Children. 
Of course, naturally. Always. Always the, hunt the, the children. perfect game. What is that? The most dangerous game. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always the kids. They're always coming for the kids. I generally try to stay away from the kids. Pretty much. Personally. If I was an um, urban legend, I'd be like, just keep me away from the children. The antidote is a child. <laughs> yes. Just put it's your like children in front of you like... she'll run away screeching. <laughs> it's like that meme where it's like that guy's like, what's worse than like murder? And it's like <laughs> a child. Yeah. <laughs> So whispers of children being snatched up in the middle of the night and being drugged, hooked in flesh by Cropsy down into the underground tunnels, never to be heard from again. These were the stories that many Staten Island children grew up with. One particular summer camp variation of the story eventually inspired the 1981 slasher film The Burning, in which a man by the name of George Cropsy goes insane after a summer camp prank gone wrong and begins to, of course, brutally slaughter the campers with an axe, which sounds a little familiar. And suddenly I think? want to go watch this movie. The Burning. Suddenly <laughs> the I burning. need to check Shutter to see if it's on there. The Burning. I haven't as of yet. It was one of those things that was on my list. I didn't get to it. Yeah. So in the 70s, things started becoming a little too real for people uh, with this urban legend. Mm. Children actually started disappearing. And it's here where we find Cropsey's other name, Andre Rand. Mm. Born Frank Russian, R-U-S-H-A-N. I'm not sure if it's Russian or Rushan, whatever. We're going to call him Frank. Actually, we're going to call him Andre. But he was born in March of 1944. Andre lived a pretty normal life with his parents and sister, up until his father's death at the age of 14 and his mother subsequently being institutionalized. Other than that, though, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Andre eventually became an orderly at the Willowbrook State School in the 1960s. Willowbrook State School was a state-supported institution for children with disabilities and was in operation for about 40 years from 1947 to 1987. The school itself was one of the largest institutions for children with mental disabilities in the United States. By 1967, however, the institution, which was meant to care for about 4,000 children, was overfilled by at least 2,000. After questionable practices and living conditions were exposed, uh, Senator uh, at the time, Bobby Kennedy, toward the institution and after discovering the horrendous living conditions of those in the um, school, refer to it simply as, quote, a snake pit. Mm. Public outcry eventually led to its closure in 1987. But it was a snake pit in more ways than one, especially because there was an actual snake in the midst of the school in the form of Andre. At one point, I thought you were going to say it was a snake pit in more ways than one. You see, it was actually a pit full, full of snakes. snakes in the middle of the school. Yeah, where they would that would put be the terrifying. How about that? I definitely thought that's what was coming. Could you imagine, like, oh, you want to act up? Oh, to the pit. Please meet my pit of snakes. <laughs> the fuck? What kind of like weird ancient Roman torture is that? And le- until you get that one weird kid who's like, oh yes, I love. The who's snakes. like into it? They're like, I'm fine with snakes. And then she I gets down the there, uh, and 
you know, they're looking down and she, the child's just looking back up and it's just covered in the snakes, but the, it has like become one with the serpents. My mind. What? what an icon. Too many, going too many places at once here. <laughs> so we're at this school and we've got Andre. And so at one point, Andre thought that it would be a brilliant idea to kidnap 11 children from a local YMCA one evening via a, a school bus. From the same YMCA? Like, you, did he just bundle them all up? Was there like a soccer meet? That yeah, yeah I, I, I'm assuming so. I'm, I'm assuming that there was some sort of event, oh. you know, going on. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure. Uh, I couldn't really find out, like, how he became in possession of this school bus. I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the fact that he was an orderly. Here, perhaps mm. he was meant mm. to take them home, like yeah. he was their chauffeur from the YMCA or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, he just decided, how about let's not and let's go do something else. Yeah. So these 11 children um, ended up on this bus with him and he purchased each of the children a meal and just kind of randomly drove them all to Newark International Airport. Huh. Where were we going from? I mean, where does anybody ever go from Newark International Airport? I'm going to tell you what, I've been to Newark International Airport and it's not a place that I just. It's not a place I want to go back. No, not at all. Like 2020's got me wanting to travel, but definitely not there. Definitely not to Newark International. I mean, the epitome of chaos. Like airports in general are like full chaos energy, but Newark International, especially. Mm -hmm. Wow. Would not want to go there. So. He just drives these children to Newark International Airport and just kind of like parks. And he was eventually arrested and served 10 months in jail. None of the children were harmed, you know, but still kidnapping. Right. You know, I just want to say doesn't seem worth it. Doesn't seem worth it. I mean, you know, luckily nobody was harmed, but also 10 months for that. What was your intention? Yeah, what, what was the plan? What were you going to do? What were we doing at Newark International Airport? They didn't eat there, right? They ate on the way there. I think it... It, it wasn't like Newark like... International Airport had a smash burger, kind of like Dulles. <laughs> no. And there's not a fucking smash burger anywhere else. So if no. you want smash burger, you're going on a date at the airport. Pretty much. I think that they ate on the way there. They swung by, got something, ate on the way there. But he served uh, 10 months in jail. In July of 1972, shockwaves hit the local news at the disappearance of five-year-old Alice Pereira. Alice had been playing with her brother when, according to him, he had taken his eyes off of her for a moment while playing in a lobby of a building they were in. Andre had been released from prison by then and was a prime suspect because of his, you know... History. History. Yeah. Um, Smart. Maybe check with that guy. (laughs) Check him first, right? Yeah. Top of the list. But due to lack of evidence, was never arrested. Mm. Alice was unfortunately never seen from again. Mm. Almost nine years later, in July of 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes went missing while going to buy soap. Her parents filed a missing persons report while several witnesses claimed to have seen the girl with Andre shortly before her disappearance. Once again, no actual evidence led to no actual arrest. Two years later, Andre became a primary suspect once again when 11-year-old Tiahees Jackson 
disappeared after being sent by her mother to get food. In 1984, 21-year-old Hank Gaforio vanished. And Hank was described as being, um, he had a lower IQ. And at the time of his disappearance, he was 22. Um, There's a documentary um, that they created about this. It's called Cropsy, which I'll get into a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was uh, 21 when he was allegedly kidnapped by Andre. And eyewitnesses reported uh, last seeing him in a local diner with Andre in the early morning hours. And his body has never been found. Hmm. Can you imagine being these cops who were just like, you know, this guy is out there and you probably like have a feeling in your bones that Mm -hmm. it might be this guy, but you just can't. There's just no evidence. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, definitely. And in 1987, Jennifer Schweiger, born with uh, Down syndrome, was reported missing on July 9th. Witnesses spotted Jennifer walking with Rand. Her body was found underground after a 35-day search. While combing the area around Willowbrook State School, a particular spot caught the eye of retired New York City firefighter George Kramer. He returned with the police. The entire body was unearthed from the shallow grave, and the remains were positively identified as those of Jennifer. Police searched the grounds for evidence and found one of Rand's makeshift campsites in proximity to her grave. This campsite. Probable cause. uh Uh-huh. This campsite was located around the Seaview Hospital grounds. Ah. The place in our urban legend where Cropsy was said to reside. Shit. So Andre had actually already been arrested prior to the discovery of the body as he had been caught lying to the police after trying to claim that he had never met the girl, which contradicted statements by numerous witnesses. So we have our guy here and he's clearly they finally, as you say, like have probable cause. Mm -hmm. We have his campsite. It's next to this bot next to, you know, where they found the body. So it has to be. A relief for the police to finally have something to pin down on this guy. Well, does, uh, to have somewhere to go. Right. Um, yeah. Yikes. That's crazy. So it was, there was the spot where the victim, where Jennifer was found, was spotted by a retired fire department guy, mm-hmm. like a retired firefighter. They were searching like, what the for fuck? the, well, what they are, were, I'm imagining like this grizzled man who's like, I see something. I've seen some things. Good lord. Except like, with like it? a really thick like Staten Island accent. I love that. We love that. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, they were combing the grounds and he found, you know, some uh, disturbed dirt and was able to find the body. But what I found interesting was that, and well, to give some context, the um, you have the Seaview Hospital and then you have the Willowbrook State School mm-hmm. and they're within proximity of like each right other. Like right beside each other? Yeah. They're not like directly, they're... Um, Within like maybe a mile or two, but of one each can other. go from one to the other quite easily. Quick walk. I think they're separate. They were separated by woods. He oh. had a little campsite that was kind of in between the two. Okay. So, um, it was really interesting to me to find that that's kind of where he had been living, um, next to this Seaview Hospital, which was sort of like the origin place for you Cropsy. know this Cropsy legend, which is terrifying. Anytime you have like. 
hospitals, especially abandoned ones in general, are like really super creepy. But then you add like this added layer of, you know, urban legend or superstition around it just kind of instantly kind of like gives me little chill bumps. Well, the um, urban legends have to come from somewhere. This is true. What we find in a lot of them is that there's some sort of kernel of truth there. And that's kind of what, what I was trying to figure out. I think that it was interesting because a lot of these, the urban legends seem to be birthed around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so they just kind of, it kind of seemed to be like a weird meeting of the two. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have this urban legend happening at the same time that this actual, uh, you know, these actual kidnappings are happening. And eventually I'm sure the two sort of marry and mm -hmm. then kind of, grow from there you know further on yeah i'm gonna be honest it might be an awkward time to share this but when you when you said you were going to talk about cropsy i didn't know what you were going to talk about <laughs> uh, you didn't know what i was going to talk not about particularly familiar with that particular urban legend so i i rescind my enthusiasm from the top of this episode because i didn't know we were going to get to child kidnapping although somehow usually, we found ourselves here again i usually leave that for you though yeah yeah which is why i thought it was safe but apparently not no absolutely not no 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 no. never safe never not on this show not on the haunted heart podcast let me tell you that much right now this is true so um if we wanted to be safe we'd have been accountants Ooh. <laughs> i think accountants is, is that's the new word for people who do only fans now Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. She's an accountant. I mean, yeah. It's, it's like, what do you do? It's an accountant it's because nobody ever asks what any details about your job. They're just like, oh, OK, got it. If you're an account, I'm an accountant. <laughs> kind of like podcasting. Like, what do you do? We're accountants. We're accountants. accountants. Yeah. We do. Of macabre and mystery. Accountants of the macabre and uh -huh. mystery. We do, we do things that accountants do. Yeah. Except for none of those things. We're not qualified for that. No, we're not. Not at all. So in 1988, Andre Rand was finally charged with the kidnapping and first degree murder of Jennifer Schweiger. The Staten Island jury could not reach a verdict for some reason on the mm -hmm. murder charge. So, I mean, did they find any murder weapons or did they just find... So they found her body and they found his tent area and those two things were adjacent yes. but there wasn't any murder weapon or any details about i couldn't that? find any details over um about how yeah she had been murdered yeah um or any type of murder weapon huh. i think a lot of it was just the adjacency and yeah, like the, the proximity cause. which could have been why the jury and was his, like eh. and the fact yeah and the fact that he had originally said that he didn't know her, but then kind yeah, of like he had been shady about it. He had been really shady about it. And when people came forth that like, huh, no, actually witnesses were like, yeah, he had been seen around her or whatever. He ended up switching his story. Mm, got it. So switching up stories made you look shady. And then, I mean, to top it all with the fact that, you know, years before you just fucking kidnapped 11 kids on a yeah. bus from the YMCA it's headed to Newark good. International Airport for some reason. It doesn't, I mean, I'm just saying, the odds are not stacked in your favor, buddy. Like, yeah. if you were actually innocent. It's not looking good. No, it's, it's not, not looking good. good for you. But juries don't like no uh, lack of a murder weapon. So that makes sense that they were. I mean, like, I I would be hard. I, I've never been to jury duty. 
And I just don't know how I would handle and it. And neither of us ever will be because they'll find our podcast and be like, nope, <laughs> take that name off the list. You can just go somewhere else with that. Yeah. Yeah. We're but it, I mean, that. I've always wanted to do jury duty. Like it really? is my supreme desire. Yeah. I feel like it would be really cool, but I also feel like I would be very um, ethically and emotionally conflicted. Interesting. Like just as a person. Really? Like I feel like I would be that asshole in the deliberation who's like, well, what, who's to say what's good and evil? And then everybody's like, we want to break for Chipotle. Fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I would end up getting murdered. And then the story would then evolve from there. It would the be plot, a very interesting film. The plot thickens. Yeah. But it wow. would secretly be you in the end. I hope me? You know. Yeah. You'd be the murderer in the end. I would be the murderer. Who did I kill? Yeah, me. You're trying to take me out. Oh. <laughs> You're tired of all these damn ums and ahs. I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> Not going to. Didn't have to deal with it. And it just ends up being like this weird like knockoff scene from like Cell Block Tango. Yes. <laughs> she had it coming. She had it coming. <laughs> so they couldn't reach a they couldn't reach a verdict on the murder charge, but they got him on the first degree kidnapping. Ah, okay. Which was interesting. I didn't realize there were degrees to kidnapping. Yeah, I would think like if you got the kid and you napped him. That's just that's it, it, right? Yeah. Like what makes first degree different from second degree? And did you research that so that we could talk about I it? I didn't. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> I did not. Perfect. Not at all. Not at all. Nope. Didn't do that. Um, so he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Now, he would have been eligible for parole in 2008. Eight, if not convicted of a second kidnapping. Well, damn. So in 2004, he was finally brought to trial for kidnapping Holly Ann Hughes, which was 24 years after her disappearance. Mm. So in New York, there's no statute of limitations. And he Wait, was. Statue of limitations? Statute. Statute. Fuck. <laughs> Statue. Can you imagine the statue of limitation? <laughs> so in New York, there is no statute of limitations. So he was finally able to be convicted in Holly's disappearance and was sentenced to another 25 years to life in prison. Damn. So they got him again. He ain't getting out. Nope. Not. Well, he won't All be eligible. Hail. Well, he won't be eligible for parole until 2037. Got it. How old's he going to be then, uh, though? He would be 93 years old. Got it. You know, at that point, just, yeah, just keep him in. If he, he's, he's not got much out there for him anyway. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of the, the basic story. He's in prison, and unfortunately, they have been unable to find the bodies of the other missing people. So has any research been done on, like, why was he kidnapping these children? Because it seems like he kidnapped both boys and girls, right? He kidnapped both Which boys is weird. and girls. There was also the 21-year-old who was kind of, like, outside of, like, the typical, right. Right. his typical motive. And, like, was there, I mean, not to be too dark, but, like, it was there any evidence of sexual assault? Was it, like, sexually motivated? Was it, like, what was the... Not that I could find. Huh. Not that I can find. So Andre actually maintains his innocence. Huh. Okay. And again, there are no bodies. Like they mm. have combed. I think they are still, they still 
do searches of the grounds Mm -hmm. trying to find bodies or remnants of these victims and they have been unable to do so. But in 2009, there was the documentary film that I mentioned previously, and it's called Cropsy, Mm. where a team kind of gets in deep with this whole urban legend and this guy. And it's actually available to watch on Amazon Prime if you have it. Mm. So it's from it's a 2009 American documentary film. It's written and directed by Joshua Zeman and Barbara Brennan. Directed by our guys, Joshua and Barbara. Josh and Barb. Josh and Barb. (laughs) Josh and Barb. We love Barb. So the film kind of initially begins as an examination of Cropsey, which is the boogeyman-like figure that we have discussed from New York City urban legend. But it kind of segues into the story of our guy, Andre, who was the convicted child kidnapper from Staten Island. Mm. Uh, and in 2009, it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, where uh, one of the programmers uh, stated that the eeriness of the mystery pulsates through the film as they kind of journey into this underbelly as more information and clues kind of unravel as they tell the story. So it's one of those moments where it's like we're going to go into it and try to like discover this, talk about this urban legend, but then it kind of evolves from there and turns into this like thing sort of like whenever i do research for conspiracy theory episode and then it evolves into anti-semitism every fucking time (laughs) every time every goddamn time you get you get a couple pages into the research a couple hours in and then all of a sudden the word zionist shows up and you're like damn it they got me again (laughs) yeah um So upon shooting their research of the origins of the missing kids stories, uh, they realized that the truth just kind of didn't dwindle into something concrete and kind of instead expanded into something larger, much more convoluted and, you know, sort of becomes an in-depth investigation of these five missing children's stories. And the objective was to bring the distinct elements into one kind of like overarching narrative which was the oral tradition of the urban legends, the mystery of the missing children, and then the courtroom drama and the search for the roots of Staten Island's obsession with this case and the community's need for some sort of catharsis behind it. Because at the end of the day, we still have five missing children, five missing children or four technically, because we found the body of one, which is hard for families because, you know, these families, they, they don't get closure, right? And it every day I can only I mean, I can I'm I'm not in that situation and would never want to be and can only imagine that 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 pain just is something that is an everyday feeling, I would Mm -hmm. imagine. And even the community as a whole still feels that because I think when you have a lot of these not necessarily just urban legends, but when sort of tragedy strikes a community, it's not just family i think or the families necessarily like yes those are you know the focal point of that but i think it definitely affects the community yeah as a I whole mean, there, there is such a thing as trauma at the community level if we look at places you know that's why it's so important when we talk about what springs to mind right now when we talk about the black lives matter movement with places in this country like detroit like you know baltimore 
those are places that have experienced trauma at the community level. And there are effects to that. There are ripple effects to that. And so it's something, you know, I definitely think that tragedy at this level impacts not only, as you said, the family that's closest to the epicenter, it ripples sort of throughout the entire community and then becomes this thing that lives on like a legend, like an urban legend. Yes, exactly. So when they began filming all of this, um, they actually sent Andre a letter. And after not receiving a response for approximately a month, they decided to visit him directly um, at Rikers Island, which I love balls like, Shit. oh, you're it's not like, going to respond. It's like the Halloween reboot. They were like, we're coming in here. I didn't even think of that. Yes. But yes, it's yes. like, oh, you're not going to write back. Oh, OK, we'll come to you. It's fine. How about I come to you? Investigate. Don't think you're going to be out. I'm going to tell you what. Investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. It's like yes. us going to Bunnyman Bridge. <laughs> to speak with Mr. Bunnyman. I need to, excuse me, I need to talk to Mr. Bunnyman. I need to see him now. We've got some words. We want to invite him on the show. Yeah, that's what it was like. It wasn't us screaming in the car in the darkness. Like I mean, it was awful. Children. Definitely. <laughs> need I remind you of the bunny running across the street <laughs> at Bunny Man Bridge. That bunny was a troll. Terrifying. I, I'm still scared. <laughs> I'm still terrified. So after not receiving a response for approximately a month, they visit him directly at Rikers Island. And on the day they were going to Rikers, they received the reply. So after a series of letter exchanges, uh, Andre agreed to an interview. However, by the time the filmmakers arrived at the prison, uh, he had just changed his mind and declined. Hmm. Trolling. Okay. Damn. Seems to flip back and forth between his stories, if you ask me. And of course, his court case did not start until four years after his indictment, uh, which was actually one of the longest pretrial motions in New York state history. Yeah. And the culmination of the film just kind of alludes to indicting Rand, which I guess sort of became a little controversial due to the fact that he was still claiming his innocence and there was you know, these missing bodies, but he still is being convicted. We have the one that we know of, uh, and then the second one for Holly Ann, who came in later. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of a little bit, you know, that's kind of where the story leaves off. I've been interesting. I want to watch this movie. Um, yeah, I and I would actually well. like to watch the, the, the burning, the one from 1981 that oh, kind of yeah. inspired a lot of that because I think that a lot of the things that you see is that this evolves. So you have this tragedy that happens and then you start off with, you know, you have your location, you have this hospital and then it's, you know, uh, these missing children. Okay. Well, he's got a hook, right? Mm -hmm. And he's sort of dragging these children underneath the, the, the halls of the Seaview hospital. And then it just kind of, takes off from there, becomes a movie, and then just really sort of elevates it to that level of legend that I think you really hit when you when there's a movie <laughs> about it. <laughs> like, once you make the movie about it, then you've really reached the status of a true urban legend. Yeah, it would, I think it would be interesting. I, I've heard about that documentary, but I hadn't watched it. I think I've heard good things. I think, I don't know. That sucks. But I think I've heard. Well, it has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Yeah. Well, well, we respect the tomatoes. <laughs> you always have to respect the tomato meter. No, but I think I've heard good things a couple of years ago when it came out and was sort of making the rounds. But somehow I didn't I, I didn't get to it. 
But I would like to watch that one as well as that movie from the 80s and and to kind of see the intersection of where all these things kind of came together. Because that's what legend is. I mean, it's made up by oral tradition and, mm-hmm. and the telling of stories. And, and we, much like podcasters, we as humans will sort of borrow from multiple sources to to weave a story together that is always inspired, I I think, always inspired by something true or true adjacent, and then sort of grows and takes on an identity of its own. Yeah. But that was fascinating. I didn't know that there was actually a true story behind the whole Cropsy thing. Yeah, it um there is. There's an actual guy behind it. Um and he's he's just a really weird individual. He writes to people do you think we'll get a letter? I hope. Do you not. think we'll get one? The Haunted Heart Podcast at gmail.com if you have any email privileges. I, I hope not. <laughs> uh, he was during his trial, he was really into like the ladies of his um, his jury. Was he or was yeah. he? And I just, I can't get a he, read on this he, whole thing. He professed his love for, for quote, older and lonely women and invited his uh, female jurors to uh, correspond with him. Got it. Okay. So. All right. Well, you know. I mean, he could uh, well, have been a sugar baby. <laughs> he missed an opportunity there. Real opportunity. Well, no, because he says there was actually a. Um, so another thing that I wanted to include was there was actually a uh, at the time when he was uh, 67, he wished a happy Mother's Day to all the ladies on Staten Island. <laughs> Just all of them yep. uh, who supported uh, prosecutorial vindictiveness against an innocent person. Sounds like an Quoted. asshole. Let me let me tell you this. He says, "Should I become a millionaire?" Okay. All right. Doesn't look you're like you're serving making two twenty-five year sentences. I don't think you're gonna make a million dollars in prison. But it says, "Should I become a millionaire?" It would be my true nature to grant all of you, with each, an envelope full of seeds to plant and cultivate a rose bush that produces roses every season as a token of my heartfelt forgiveness, rather than bouquets of rosebuds, which blossom and shortly die out. The fuck? I gotta stop adding these random guys on Facebook, you know? (laughs) I gotta stop approving these ad requests. What the fuck kind of message is that? Did he put it in the newspaper? Uh, or did I he think just it was public. I think it ended up, he he sent it out. Um, I think it just ended up being out. He says, uh, it's only, it is only, a tiny rosebud, a flower of God's design, but I cannot unfold the petals with these clumsy hands of mine. <laughs> the secret of unfolding flowers is not known to such as I. The flower, only the spirit of God opens, and my hands would fade and die. And he just keeps going on about these rosebuds. To, he's writing this love letter to the women of Staten Island. Like I'm not getting it. It's not there. I don't. It's not hitting it for me. Got it. All right. Yeah, well, you know, good luck with that whole millionaire thing. Far be it for me to judge, but I don't think you're making much progress, bro. Yeah, not at all. Well, thank you for that. That was that was very interesting, very enlightening. And now uh, I can I can go about I and our listeners can go about educated and not enter into conversations pretending to know who Cropsy is. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, If you want to connect with us on social media, please do so. We welcome that connection and we will send you weird 
letters about rosebuds and such. Um, we are on Instagram at the Haunted Heart Podcast. We're on Twitter at the Haunted Heart. If you want to support the show, you appreciate what we're doing, and you want to leave a little coin on the dresser for us, we would very much appreciate your contribution. You can go to www.patreon.com slash the haunted heart and find us there. You can sign up to support the show for as little as a dollar a month. And we appreciate all of our lovely Patreon people's contributions. Every last one on you. Thank you. You can also find us on Facebook because we're old people and we're still on Facebook. If you search the haunted heart podcast, you can find our page. Give us a like and a review there. You will also find our private Facebook group where we have a lot of discussions about episodes, about all kinds of topics related to horror, true crime, macabre topics, witchcraft, anything you want to talk about and a healthy dose of funny memes. (laughs) A healthy dose. So definitely find us there. Uh, it's private for your own privacy, but if you request to join either Kenny, myself, or a member of our Murder Mod Squad, we'll approve you, and you can get to chatting. As long as you're not cropsy. As long as you're not cropsy. We won't approve you if you're cropsy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think prisons get Facebook, so I mean, I could be wrong. But Who knows? Be interesting to look into. I don't know. I've seen some prison TikToks, and I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, guys, be sure to always keep your eyes and ears about you. Always be alert. Mm-hmm. Always be ever vigilant or Especially vigilant. Vigilant. <laughs> Whichever. Just keep your eyes out for that strange shadowy figure with the hook for the hand in the woods. And until next time, stay, stay spooky. spooky.